That is learning some personal spiritual practices. These are things that draw us closer to the Lord. I believe that if if people will learn to love God, if they'll truly learn to love Him, truly, not just have this, well, I love Him in my mind, and I know that I'm supposed to, and I have this warm, fuzzy feeling for Him, but to express love to Him, if we will become a people who really express love to Him, we will be a people who learn to love other people. See, because as we draw close to Him and live close to Him, we will absorb the love that He has for other people. He says if we will love Him first and foremost, we will learn then to love other people all around us. And these personal spiritual practices, they are designed to draw us close to Him. I feel like a shepherd and I'm just trying to push people, herd people closer to Him. You don't need to be closer to me. You need to be closer to Jesus. You need to be closer to the Lord. And as you're closer to Him, you'll grow spiritually. Spiritual growth is getting close to God, knowing Him better, knowing Him more intimately. That's where spiritual growth is. It doesn't come from just reading the Bible and reading a lot of things in the Bible and having a lot of biblical knowledge. That's good to have. But it's all about a person and drawing us to that person of Jesus Christ Himself. So last week we began by covering a couple of personal spiritual practices. One is Bible reading. These are things that we should be doing every day. Reading our Bible and learning to meditate on God's Word. And we talked about what that means to meditate. Like a, like a cow chewing its cud. I asked you the question last week, is your Christian experience lacking? Does life and joy and peace and victory that's promised in the Bible, does it seem to be empty? You called out to Jesus to ask you, to, to forgive yourself, to forgive you of your sins, and to save your soul. There's that spark of life in you for a little while, but then it began to fade. Do you experience a life that's described in the Bible? Do you think it's just for the super saint only, or only for those who are quote-unquote professionals? Was it regulated just to people back in that time and space where the things were written in history? But, you know, that's just really kind of empty for us today. You know, we're in the 20th, 21st century. I'm not sure, Brother Wayne, that all those things really apply to us today. Well, they do. They do apply to us. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, whether you're a beginning seeker to know whether God is real or not, or whether you are a veteran follower of Christ, these messages about personal spiritual practices will grow you spiritually and grow you more closer to Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we will be a more healthy church. And the natural result from being spiritually healthy is that the church grows. And that's what we all want, right? Amen. Amen. You know, there's always a cost. There's always a cost whenever it comes to changing our behavior. There's always a cost, either, either in time or in focus. You know, if we're trying to lose weight or become more healthy, we have to change the way that we live, don't we? We may have to become more active and go to the gym or spend more time exercising. We may have to change what we eat in order to become more healthy. See, anytime that there's a change, there's a cost to that. And in incorporating spiritual practices in our life, there's going to be a cost to developing these habits and living a life closer to the Lord. There will be. I remember about 10 years ago, I had joined with a couple of other youth ministers. We'd taken about 22 or so young people, uh, high school seniors and juniors, up to Albert Pike on a camping trip. 
And we carried in our 40-pound backpacks. That was everything that we needed. We were going to carry it in. We were hiking in four miles, crossing a river two times, and setting up camp there. We weren't near any electricity. We weren't near any bathrooms or anything like that. And on this particular trip, we were going to go even further on a 10-mile hike up to a ridge that had a campground up there that overlooked really a great scene up there in, in southern Arkansas. But it was five miles one way. And on that trek, we had to do a trade-off. We had to take some things out of our backpack because two to three of those miles of that five-mile trek one way was all uphill. And we couldn't carry all the things that we were carrying in that 40-pound pack. We had to drop some of those things and leave them behind in order to reach new heights, to reach that new height where we could set up camp. You know, sometimes if we want to reach a new height, a new level in our spiritual walk with the Lord we got to unpack some things and get some things out of our backpack, some things that are really not able to help us get to where we need to go. We need to drop some of those things. We need to do a trade-off. Integrating these personal spiritual habits may very well mean letting go of some things you like. It may mean letting go of long hours out on the lake. Young people may mean letting go of some FaceTime on Facebook and Instagram and, and time spent on Pandora and Xbox. You're taking up these spiritual habits. They will bring us to a new level of communion and fellowship with the Lord. Just as increased interaction with the person builds our trust in them, so does increased interaction with Jesus Christ. It builds our faith the closer that we are with him. The more we live with him daily, it builds our faith. It's like driving a stick shift. If you've ever had a standard and you've got it in first gear and you're driving, you're not going to go very far or very fast leaving it in first gear. You've got to make that shift. And so personal spiritual practices make that shift so that you can progress on in your walk with Jesus Christ. That's what it's like. It's moving us from, it's moving our faith from our head to our heart. Does that make sense? This is where many Christians, we kind of fall out. Like we've read in the parable of the seed, the seed that fell upon the rock and among thorns. These were examples of people that somewhere along the way, their, their fellowship with God and their growth with him, their spiritual living with him, it dropped off somewhere. So here in this two-part series, part two today, of personal spiritual practices, I want to talk to you about the number two personal spiritual practice that we all need to incorporate in our life, and that is prayer. Prayer is one of the most important personal spiritual practices, personal spiritual habits that we all do. And you may say, well, Brother Wayne, this sounds kind of elementary. Well, just hang on with me. You know, it's always good. You know, there's, God's Word is always relevant to teach us new things. But I want to break down this prayer. We can talk about a lot of different things about prayer and our prayer life, but I want to talk to you specifically about praying for guidance Daily praying for guidance and daily praying for the confession of sins. As we seek to grow closer to the Lord and grow spiritually and be the kind of people that God uses, He says, you are created in my image and likeness and He wants us to reflect Him well. We need to align ourselves with Him, come and live more closely to Him every day. Before I get into talking to you about praying for guidance every day, something that we need to do in praying to confess sin, there's got to be a truth that we understand, and that is this, is that God is a personal God. God is a personal God. 
He is a person, just like you and I. Now, we have a physical body, but he doesn't. But God is a person. We can read verses in the Bible that talk about and they share God's feelings. You know, God can be angry. God can be loving. He can be compassionate. He can be merciful. He has character. He has emotions. He is a person. God does things. God's a God of action. Did you know that? Whenever the Lord called Moses to be his servant, to be his prophet, and to go to Israel and speak to them, Moses said, who do I tell them is sending me? He says, you tell them that I am that I am has sent you. And that means it's loosely translated in the Hebrew. He says, you tell them I am he who makes things happen. God is a God of action. He is a person. And we need to have this firm in our mind, you know, that God is a person and he can be hurt. He can be angered. He is a person just like you and I, with character character traits. And because he has created you and I to be like him, we have character traits. We have personality. And he has created this framework so that you and I can have a relationship with him. That's why he did that, because he is a personal God. He has created us to be personal people with personality and feelings and emotions and character so that we can relate to him, so that we can know him better. I'm telling you this because whenever you and I fail to recognize that God is personal and he wants to be personally involved in our lives, when we fail to remember that daily, you know what happens? We pray to him less. We don't relate to him as much. If we think that he's really not personally involved in our lives and he's really not interested and we can't see him at work around us in our life or somebody else, what do we do? We kind of check out. Look at your own life and see if that's not true. If you don't see him personally involved in your life very much, you don't pray to him very much. You don't read his word very much. And we need to understand that he is live, he is real, and he is a personal God that does seek to be involved in our lives. He wants the best for all of us. And he knows what is best for all of us. So if you're taking notes, let's begin here by talking about prayer for guidance in my life. Personal spiritual practice, let's pray for God's guidance in our life. Because God is real and He is active in the lives of people, in groups and nations of people, we all need to develop daily prayer for guidance. You know, people want guidance, don't they? You can go to Barnes & Noble and they have all kinds of books about guidance on all kinds of subjects. You know, there's psychic psychic hotlines because there's people seeking guidance. There's life coaches, there's counselors, you know, people seek guidance. Do you remember back from the 70s and 80s, if you were a young person then, they had this big black uh, eight ball that was filled with water, and it had this geometric something inside of it that had words written on it, had different things, and it's supposed to give you guidance. It was just kind of a Uh, a fad, a toy, a game, that you would shake it up and you would ask the eight ball, what should I do about this? Should I ask Jimmy to be my boyfriend? You know, what should I do here? You know, and people would shake it up and they would look for it for guidance. We're always looking for guidance. You know, if you knew somebody knew your future and they knew what tomorrow holds for you next week, five years from now, ten years from now, Wouldn't you want to get close to that person and get to know them very well? Wouldn't you want to get close to them so that you could ask them questions and so they could give you guidance and directions? You know, in Jeremiah, the Lord says, I know my plans that I have for you, 
plans to do you good, not harm. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23. Jeremiah 23, verse 23. Reading from the King James this morning. He says, am I God at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? He says, listen, I I am near to you. He knows what's best for you and I. He knows who you ought to marry, young person. He knows how you ought to spend your money. He knows how to fix this problem and that problem. He's ready to give any of us and all of us direction. And we need to develop the spiritual practice of daily, of daily, praying to him and looking to him for guidance. Consider these verses and take note of them if you would. I always encourage you to take notes, not because what I have to say is so good, because God's word, it has, what it has to say is so good. And I encourage you to take them during the week and go back over it again and study it again and read them again and again. Psalms chapter 48, verse 14. says, For this God is our God forever and ever, and He will be our guide even unto death. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11. And the Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in the drought and make fat your bones. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. God's the God who guides, the Bible says. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, I've read this to you before in another sermon. It says, do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? He will direct your path. God is a personal God, and we need to spend time, we need to spend daily seeking what does He have to say about that issue or that matter in our life? What does He have to say? You know, He can guide us in a lot of different ways. He can guide us by His Word. You know, so much of what God's will is, it is right here in His Word. It's already provided. That's why one of the first spiritual practices I talked to you about last week was Bible reading. The more familiar you are with God's Word, the more easily you will find out and know what His direction is. He also guides us by His Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. As we pray for guidance, He can give us guidance and speak to us by His Holy Spirit. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, He returned from Jordan... And he was led, he was directed by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, even Jesus sought direction and guidance. Did you know that? Even Jesus did. And if he thought it was enough to pray, and the Bible says in many places where he got up early in the day and began to pray, and he sought guidance, don't you think that's something that we ought to do as well? Certainly we are not greater than he that we don't need guidance and direction, that we don't need to pray. Look in John chapter 16, verse 13. John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, How be it when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you. The Holy Spirit will guide you and I if we ask him. Acts chapter 16. This is the Apostle Paul. And you can read this, this verse, these passages on your own, verses 6 through 9, where the Apostle Paul was seeking guidance, and the Holy Spirit 
you know, prevented him from going in Asia. He gave him direction. Because he is a personal God, you know, he wants to be in the life, involved in the life of his children. You know, he can speak to us by special circumstances, too. Not just by his spirit, not just by his word. I remember years ago, whenever I was in college, and I went on summer missions. And I was praying for God's direction. Where do you want to send me, Lord? And it was months before my summer term where I was going to go serve as a summer missionary. And I didn't know where he wanted me to go. But there was a place on the application that I had to designate where I felt like the Lord wanted me to go so that they might send me there. And one of the options that was on that application was the Northwest, it was the Mideast, and I think that the other one, it was over on the East Coast. But I remember, I remember vividly, I still remember to this day, that the Lord had given me a picture in my mind, the center of the United States, and in the center it was Kansas City, Missouri, in the Midwest. And so that's what I put down. And out of all the options, that was really not up to me to choose where I would be sent by the home mission board. That's where they sent me because I knew that's where God had called me. I knew I was going to go there. He had already showed it to me. He had revealed it to me. He gave me guidance. God does give guidance. Number two is to pray to confess sins. We need to pray to confess our sins. That's a personal spiritual practice that we all need to do. You know, we, we all sin, don't we? You know, it's innate with man, within mankind to feel guilt and shame over wrongs that we do. It's just natural. You know, that's having a conscience. You know, we do. You know, but guilt and shame and feeling sorry, you know, those aren't bad feelings. You know, they have their purpose. They have their work. If we never feel these things, our conscience has become hardened and it's become numb to any alert that we've disobeyed God or that we have hurt him or our fellow man. After a strong rebuke that Apostle Paul gave in 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6 about sin in that church, he rebuked them strongly. But you can read in the next letter that he wrote back to them in, in 2 Corinthians, this is what he said. Even though, this is chapter 7 verses 8 through 10, he says, even though I caused you sorrow by my letter, he says, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it for a little while, yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow, it led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. Godly sorrow brings repentance. You know, we need to confess our sins to God. You, to confess, it just simply means to fully agree with Him. It just means to fully agree with somebody. When we confess our sins to God, we are simply agreeing with Him that we have done it, just as He sees that we've done it. Whether it's disobedience, whether it's rebellion or transgression of some kind, We're just agreeing with him, Lord, you're right. The way you saw it, you called it. That's exactly the way it was. I was wrong. Because he's a personal God, we need to confess our sins to him personally. Some people believe that whenever they come to Jesus Christ for their salvation and, and they've been forgiven past, present, and future, they think they've got the idea that we should never have to confess sins anymore to him. And that's not true. That's not true. It's not unlike any other relationships that you and I have with other people. We may wrong a friend or spouse or even sin grossly against them, but whenever we do, we ought to admit fault. We ought to confess that. You know, if you've never done that to somebody, how's that relationship going for you then? If you've been the one offended, how's that relationship? Do you feel just as warm and excited about that person as before? 
No, it needs to be restored. There needs to be apology. There needs to be a confession. And it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. We have a relationship that's not broken, but our fellowship can be broken by the sins that we commit. When you and I commit sins, we commit them one by one, or even several at a time. But as we commit them, we need to confess them. You know, don't let them build up. You know, don't, don't pray a blanket prayer over God, forgive me for all the sins of, of last year. You know, if we've committed them one by one, you know, we need to confess them one by one. You know, we, 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 com- we committed specific things. Well, we need to confess them specifically. However we commit them, we need to confess those. If we continue to sin over and over for days and weeks or even longer, you know, it dulls our sensitivity to sin. It dulls our, the conviction of our conscience. And it dulls our sensitivity to God's plea for repentance to come back. You know, whenever the, Jesus, whenever the disciples were walking with Jesus, you know, the one thing they asked him to teach them, he asked them, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us how to cast out demons. They didn't say, teach us how to feed the poor. They said, teach us how to pray. So certainly an important spiritual practice that we need to incorporate into our lives, a habit daily, is praying to God. Because He's a personal God. Praying for guidance. Praying to confess our sins. In Jesus' model prayer that He shared with Him in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, and 14 and 15, he taught them to confess their sins to the Father. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, uh, John the Baptist, he taught his disciples after they were baptized to confess their sins. In 1 John chapter 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Listen, whenever you confess your sins to God, don't you feel better? Don't you feel a burden's been lifted off of you? Off of you? Don't you feel like your fellowship with him has been restored? These personal spiritual practices, these are things that we need to do to maintain close intimacy with Him and grow spiritually to Him. If our desire is to grow our church, we need to have the desire then to be spiritually healthy. God is personal God. And so we need to do things that draw us personally closer to Him. And that's what the personal spiritual practices do. Prayer for guidance, prayer for confession are two of them that I wanted to share with you today. If you add them to your life, we are on our way to better spiritual health. And that's my encouragement to you today. Let's pray together. As the musicians come with heads bowed and eyes closed. Do you feel close to the Lord? I pray that you would really take in this series of messages. I really believe that God is driving me to put these out to us, these seven personal spiritual practices that will change our life. If you don't feel close to Him, add to, to the habit of your life Bible reading, meditating, Prayer for confession. Prayer for guidance. He's a personal God and He seeks you out. He calls you by name. He wants you to come along by His side and to know Him better. He already knows all about you. He wants you to know Him better. 
That's spiritual intimacy. That's where spiritual growth happens in a close relationship with Him. Oh, we can be forgiven and know that we're a believer in Christ and whenever we die, we go to heaven. But He doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to grow closer and closer to Him and be a part of the generation that cares.